Welcome to Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And join us for Season 2, Episode 7, Something to Talk About. I, I was very happy to be, like, back on the grind, to have things to post about the podcast. Yeah. It was it was And kind it's of fun because the, the, like, the show is back up, so they're yeah. super active. You know, Shonda and, uh, and the Grey's Anatomy cast is super active on social media right now, which yes. has been super entertaining, which is... Obviously, you know, 10 seasons in advance of our, our, <laughs> our very slow pace, but it's been super fun to like see them, see them, you know, happening out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. I, uh, yeah, we're definitely trying to draft off of the enthusiasm for Grey's Anatomy right. season 13, uh, just shamelessly attaching yeah, ourselves to that really hashtag. no apologies for that. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Let's talk about the, like, shit show at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I really liked your analogy of, uh, once again, so our, our listeners should know that Trees is very invested in the Harry Potter series, and I am now reading, we might have talked about this last week, that I'm reading Harry Potter for the first we time. We can never as, talk about it too much. So. <laughs> as, as a grown-ass woman. <laughs> it's just, it's giving me so much joy. Just yeah. truly, like, I wake up in the morning and I'm like... <sighs> Megan's safe in the embrace of J.K. <laughs> Rowling today. <laughs> it's good. You know, they're, they're good books. Uh, and, you know, as a, a teacher, it's, it's interesting now. I read, I read maybe one or two of them as a kid when they first came out. But it's interesting now to read them as a teacher, you know, like thinking about the teaching styles of these teachers. Like some of them are really quite terrible teachers <laughs> anyway we don't need to get into that but my point is is that we do a lot of harry potter parallels that mostly you know are right over my head but this week they're not <laughs> you really got it I sidebar it. i want you to write like um an article analyzing the pedagogical strategies of hogwarts i would write the <laughs> shit out of that article you could kill it oh <laughs> You'd be my so good. god there's and frankly i think that snape might be actually one of the more effective teachers in terms of people oh, who work at that school <laughs> Right? He totally is. He totally is. Just to be frank about it. But yes, this week I just felt like, you know, we have this moment at the beginning of the episode. It starts, it's it's an unusual kind of beginning. We get Meredith driving to work, which oh, mm. just pained me looking at Seattle mm-hmm. and knowing exactly where they were trying to represent her driving, but uh, <laughs> in Vancouver. But <laughs> so we start, we start in the intern's locker room and there are a bunch of interns that we've never seen before. Except ever. for that blonde bitch. <laughs> she's the one who tried to live with Meredith in like the second episode remember and she like asks her what her favorite 80s band is (laughs) anyway I've invested in that blonde intern (laughs) yeah that's true there's that one blonde intern that Megan latched onto I really did but the rest of them are totally they're totally red shirts right like if there's a disaster they're the first to go Mm. probably that's not a spoiler that's just realistic that's just (laughs) (laughs) And so I was I was telling Megan I was like this show I know I bring up Hogwarts far more than is an, than is appropriate for an adult. <laughs> but this show is totally like Hogwarts, you know, because like in every house there are like five kids. So either Hogwarts is the most selective magical institution in Europe, possibly in the world, or there's been some kind of external event that has devastated the magical population of Great Britain. <laughs> like there's no other option. <laughs> because according to like according to math, there are about 
20 kids at Hogwarts in a given grade. That's so true. <laughs> that's it. I mean, and, at most. <laughs> and that's how this class of interns is. There yeah. are five interns. That's and it. There are no more interns. No more surgical interns what we will in this program. <laughs> henceforth refer to as the red shirt interns. The red shirts. Who yeah. are basically just like gossiping about Meredith and how shitty her life is. <laughs> <laughs> and not in a like, oh, something sad happened to her. But in a genuine, like, her life is shit kind of way. <laughs> yes. Which <yeah>. is tough. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of worse because I like to think that you and I would have a bit more decorum. Yeah. Uh, Meredith is in the locker room. <laughs> she's, she's, she's in the locker right next to the blonde. <laughs> she's right there. She's Come on, like, guys. It's awful. <laughs> it's really terrible. Gossip so is bad. about talking behind people's backs. Not okay? in front of them. No. Right. Co- like, at least do it right, you know? Right. Exactly. Our first case is this guy named Shane Herman. I who think has... that you owe the listener a summary, though. Oh, we didn't do a summary. Okay. No. I can, I can do a summary. <laughs> All, All right. right. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so we have a dude who has a hysterical pregnancy, which ends up being a teratoma. We have a young woman who is, quote unquote, paralyzed. We don't fully understand. Alex is taking care of her. She's 18. Then we have Yang, who's a total asshole to a nurse and then gets a bunch of terrible, terrible cases, like rectal cases mostly. And then we have a woman named Kim Griswold, who is the biggest bitch ever. And her husband does everything for her. And then he lashes out and leaves her. And Derek and Addison are in couples therapy. And Bailey stands up for Meredith to Derek. That was super good. Made me cry. You covered pretty much all the bases that were important. Okay. okay. For that episode. Well okay. done. Thanks. And you didn't go 10 seconds over like I did last week. You did go 10 <laughs> seconds over. You know, listening back, I I was as I was editing, I didn't realize that you told me at 30 seconds that my time was up. I totally just railroaded you. Yeah, <laughs> just, you really did. I was like, I didn't, didn't even hear, hear you. <laughs> <laughs> More evidence that I'm shouting into the microphone without realizing it. <laughs> All right. So why don't you get us started uh, so with, our, with our first case? Shane Herman is like the main, I would say that the, he's sort of the main patient in this episode. He has a hysterical pregnancy or what they think is a hysterical pregnancy. And it involves Christina and <laughs> Izzy and one other person. No, just the two of them stealing him from the psych ward. So we see our friend. What's the psych guy's name? Raj. Raj. Right? We see Raj, yeah. So they steal Shane from the psych ward because he's having a hysterical pregnancy or what he thinks is. And it ends up being a teratoma, which is we're going to really get into teratomas later. <laughs> <laughs> really it's looking forward exciting. to it. Because we have a special guest. Teratoma, <laughs> we have a special guest who has firsthand experience with her own teratoma. Yes. So stay tuned for that shit. So Shane, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because he is the one of the main cases and he has this teratoma and he looks like he's nine months pregnant but truthfully i actually don't think this is that interesting of a case no right Mm-mm. no do you feel that no. way we both I, kind yeah of, like <laughs> i don't know he's just kind of boring <laughs> yeah and i i just wish that they would have spent more time with how terrifying teratomas are which again we're gonna get into but <laughs> yeah like yeah <laughs> I, just what's involved with the teratoma. I I remember specifically Googling teratomas. And that was far more in- interesting than this case. <laughs> if you are out there and you're listening to this podcast and you have not yet Googled teratomas, you need mm. to. That Google image, image search it right <laughs> now. 
Mm-hmm. You will see things that you cannot unsee, and you'll be a better man slash woman for it. Mm-hmm. You truly okay. will. Anyway, I'm sorry to cut you'll you off. You'll be a better man slash important. woman slash potential teratoma. Exactly. <laughs> that will make sense to you once you Google image search teratomas. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So ultimately what Shane is supposed, Shane is like becomes this spectacle. This patient becomes a real spectacle around the hospital because he's of course a man who looks and appears to be pregnant. And, and Meredith is a huge spectacle at this point in the show, right? Because everybody knows that Derek has chosen to stay with his husband or his, (laughs) that would be interesting with his wife. (laughs) Um, And so Meredith sort of has this connection with Shane of like, I'm a spectacle, you're a spectacle. And she's really looking out for him and, I mean, I guess that's nice and it makes her a good doctor, you know, like I think you made that point later on that it does make her a good doctor in that moment. But um, frankly, I don't know. It's a little bit of a snooze fest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's like it starts out so promising. You're like, oh, my God, a male pregnancy, a male hysterical pregnancy. Yeah. And it's but I think I think the problem is that so much of the humor comes from the very beginning with them yeah. with Yang and Izzy stealing <laughs> the patient right. you know and uh sort of begging off of everyone else's surgical um services by just pretending they don't know answers to questions during rounds and just just generally making asses out of themselves right but once they actually get to Shane and once Shane becomes an accepted surgical patient the storyline just kind of loses all of its <laughs> Which I I will say that I think this episode is like meh. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a great episode. It's sort of only medium interesting, I would say. But yeah, well, it's coming off of Bonnie and Tom. so Right. Which I mean, that's big shoes to fill. (laughs) So but what I think is funny that I'm just sort of now connecting to my head, that they actually do a pretty shit job across this episode of explaining what's actually going on medically. Right. So Shane, teratomas are fascinating and nobody really ever talks about how interesting they are in this episode. Right. When we get to... Um, Kim Griswold she has like a heart issue that nobody really explains that involves her starting on fire and nobody fucking explains that and then we have Nicole a young woman who is quote unquote paralyzed and we don't get any sort of like explanation you know what I mean like they're really I feel like they're really not spending the time where they should be in this episode (laughs) yeah no this was definitely an episode one of those episodes that was much more about the characters like the patients themselves rather rather than the medicine and that's generally that's generally fine like god knows we love those kinds of episodes but the patients in this episode were not i don't think they were particularly compelling Mm. and so Mm -hmm. that was why it sort of fell flat for me anyway totally but uh, yeah, like kind of the most interesting part of Shane for me is that I just think he has the strangest face. And that's, that's rude. It's super rude and inappropriate. But I'm not saying yeah. he's ugly. I'm saying he has a weird face. Yeah, <laughs> he does have a weird face. <laughs> like he reminds me a little bit of Ava in later seasons, Ava slash Rebecca, you know, of like he looks sort of post face transplant. <laughs> like i'm really sorry to that dude out there i mean it's not it's not a terrible face it's just weird it's just it just doesn't kind of fit him or something i I really i really feel that belly (laughs) we're just sort of projecting it onto his face (laughs) that's entirely possible possible. (laughs) entirely possible (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> there is kind of a side storyline that is interesting because it feels like this is all going to be coming to a head. And that is that Yang manages to royally piss off one of the oh, nurses God. and one of the veteran nurses, Debbie. She mm. basically, Debbie is, Debbie comes in and she's trying to see what's going on in this room. Like, who is this patient? <laughs> what are you doing? He's not supposed to be here, et cetera, et cetera. And Yang is, you know, trying to close the curtains and be super secretive. And she just says something to Debbie, like, you know, if we need a bedpan, we'll call you. And Debbie <laughs> just goes, you know, something like, you do that and just walks away. And you know, you just, you just know. know, you just that know. literal shit is about to be rained down upon Christina. Yang. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and you just like are so OK with it. Like yeah. her Yang's tone when she says that to Debbie is just it makes my skin <sighs> crawl. Like it's yes. so awful. It's so, so, so awful. Yeah. And what's kind of worse is that so throughout the episode, she get she keeps getting paged away oh, from this yeah. case and she's super pissed off about it. She, you know, gets called to do a rectal exam and to take care of someone with explosive diarrhea and someone else who's, you know, vomiting everywhere. And she thinks that Bailey has found out about herself and Burke and their relationship. And so it doesn't even what's what's so terrible is that it doesn't even cross her mind at yep. all ever. She never thinks about Debbie again. She spends the whole episode thinking that Bailey has it out for her. And yep. Debbie, at the, when she confronts Bailey, finally, at the end of the episode, Debbie just kind of pops up over at the counter like, mm hmm. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Oh, God. And she definitely doesn't apologize either. No. Oh, no. Not at all. She rolls her eyes, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Debbie's like, like, a little respect goes a long way. (laughs) That's, you know. She she doesn't bring Debbie like a coffee, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. The treatment of nurses. We'll get into that when when the the strike eventually happens but yeah but it does yeah it does definitely feel like it's uh just tight like these sort of microaggressions right as as we would call them today are building well i think what's interesting about it is that it starts off the show got a lot of flack in the very first episodes for how it treated nurses and then i think they actually used it to create a narrative about how doctors treat nurses yeah and so now i think that we're like really in the weeds with that of like no, this is stuff that happens and nurses are like, it's such a thankless job by particularly by doctors. And, and we do see that absolutely come to a head, I think in this season, if not early in season three. And so I, I don't know, I guess I think I don't, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Right. For something that was a genuine critique of the show for the show, then to sort of turn that around and use it for their benefit is sort of, I don't know. It's just a, it makes me feel weird. Yeah. I would love, I would love to know if, any of our listeners know uh, of any current medical dramas that kind of um, feature a nurse as a lead character in some way, not, not as a recurring character, but a straight up Mm. lead character. Yeah. Because I, it's just, it's so interesting to me that we fetishize surgery and surgeons. And I wonder if we would ever see a show that demonstrates, you know, sort of the nursing perspective. Like I feel like we wouldn't. My question is, do you ever watch Nurse Jackie? Oh, Nurse Jackie. I've yes. never seen it before, but I, I've, have I have always been intrigued either. by that show for that reason of of why, you know, I think about right. it. Nurses in the I was same thinking ways. I was thinking of like, you know, the the ABC 
NBC, CBS, but you're right. right. Nurse right. Jackie on Showtime. Right. So, and I'm not familiar with that show, so I don't, I don't know, but I do think that that's an interesting, I've always felt the same way about teachers, right? That like, there are never any mm. good shows about teachers, despite that being like a total goldmine for comedy. Um, <laughs> and but drama, I feel I, you know? right, right, and I feel the same way about nurses. That that's the kind of you know jobs that force you to interact with people in sometimes very hilarious and terrible ways. Make right. some of the best shows. Well, and, and so, it seems it seems disingenuous of medical dramas to focus on the doctor patient relationship so much and like what the doctors go through with their patients when patients spend the majority of their time exactly. in the hospital with nurses. Exactly. You know, like that's who they, that's who they create connections with. It's not the doctors who right. round on them, you know, at, at awful times during the day and then per- perform their surgeries. It's the nurses who are there all the time, always yeah. checking on them and taking care of them and talking to them and, so it's weird that we sort of put all of this relationship drama onto doctors when, you know, I'm sure they feel attachment to their patients, but I, you got to think it's it's much different for nurses because oh, they're yeah. there all the time. Absolutely. Anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we should. Anyway, shout out nurses. Yeah. Go nurses. We know a lot of them. We think you're great. <laughs> Let's move on to Kimberly Griswold. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, do you want to give I us a little backstory here? Yeah, I would love to. I think this is one of the cases where we sort of, we we didn't totally disagree, but I think we had kind of different perspectives on it. But so this woman comes in, she needs a quadruple cabbage. Mm-hmm. Don't I, She has myocardial infarction. Which <laughs> I can't believe that's a real word. <laughs> infarction. infarction. <laughs> I totally thought it was a typo and I Googled it. It's a, that's a word. It's I'm not going to lie. When I saw your notes on that, I was like, Teresa, I'm pretty sure it's infraction. Yes, I know. I know. As soon as I typed it, I was like, oh, man, I thought it was so funny, but it's definitely infraction. Now, now it's infarction. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I can never be a doctor. Anyway, <laughs> so she comes in and she's a pretty difficult woman, <laughs> to uh-huh. put it kindly. She's she's she complains all the time. She's quite rude to the doctors. You know, you you, you're hurting me when they're trying to stick her, you know, with needles, which to be fair to this woman, George has proven himself totally, totally incompetent at drawing blood. So her husband, her husband is also there and he's this kind of worn down (laughs) older man named Alan. And he you know, he carries her purse. He hangs up her her robes he adjusts the lighting in the room I mean her every whim he kind of takes care of for her and she doesn't ask nicely there's no please and no thank yous as he points out later in the episode but it's also pretty clear that this has become become a common routine she's been in for I think at this point five heart surgeries open heart surgeries Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so you know we're also talking about a woman who's who's dealt with a lot of medical trauma uh, for for a very long time, so basically, this lady, <laughs> she she's in her open heart surgery, uh, and this is kind of after Alan has had it, and he he rages at at um, Kimberly at her bedside when she's uh, going into pre-op or she's in pre-op, and <clears throat> you know tells her shut up shut up, you know, why won't you just <laughs> shut up? <laughs> it goes on this, you know, just this horrible, horrible rant. 
and she he sends her into a heart attack. She has a heart attack right then and there. So they rush her into <laughs> surgery, and as they're as they're performing the surgery, uh, her heart literally starts on fire. <laughs> and the kicker is that Kimberly makes it through just fine. She just sails yep. on through. <laughs> She's like, all right. <laughs> Put that Alan, on my surgical resume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Alan, Alan at that point is just, that's the last straw. She's He's just like, done. how has she not died yet? Like this old bitch <laughs> started on fire in the operating room and she made it through. I'm done. And like throws this, you know, giant old lady bag at, <laughs> at George bag. and uh, just walks off. <laughs> yep. 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 That's it. Yep. That's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I just like when you first meet Alan when Alan first comes on screen you know he's gonna blow you know yeah. like you just know when they have their first interaction and she says you know shut those lights off or close those blinds or whatever <laughs> and he's like oh, okay okay you know you just know that he's gonna crack in this episode at some point and you just don't know when you know and just because of the way that she's speaking to him it's a very and thin I veneer Yes, yes. And you can just see that it's been building and he's so, you know, anyway. And I think that, you know, she's, I am totally sympathetic that she's got a pretty, you know, she's been in, had five open heart surgeries and she, her, a lot of medical trauma, as you said. Um, but she's, I mean, she's like really, really miserable. You know, I think that, I think that what strikes me as why I think she's such a super bitch is be, like her tone that she takes with him. It's not even that like I, you know, I ask my husband to do shit for me all the time because I'm helpless, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and I guess I just really struggle with the tone that she takes with him. And I think that the way that he blows up is totally unreasonable. You know, like that would never happen in that setting if he was that patient with her for so many years the time that he would choose to fully crack is not going to be in front of the doctors you know like that that's right, just totally right. over the top and totally dramatic but her tone with him like it just makes me so sad <laughs> like she's just so terrible to him <laughs> and I that's was partially I don't know what I want you to like talk through a little bit about your your girl on the train perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I have like a surprisingly or maybe unsurprisingly small amount of sympathy for Alan <laughs> because I'm kind of like, well, you're not the one who's had five open heart surgeries. Um, I agree that her behavior towards him is totally unwarranted and, and, you know, borderline cruel uh, but I think he's absolutely cruel in the way that he blows up at her. And I just I just feel like I watch Alan's role and I'm very just like, <laughs> good work, Kimberly. You put him to work. <laughs> you make him carry your bags and hang up your robes. This is the ideal like situation for any woman who dates and marries men. <laughs> But I also recognize that I just finished the thriller, The Girl on the Train. <laughs> and I'm, like, particularly misandrist right now, like, more so than I usually am. I think I'm pretty even-keeled. So I'm just very much like, screw that dude, and also all dudes ever who have ever duded. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess I think that like I, I hear I hear that, and I I don't you know. So I had a really disagree. reasonable response. To I think that if I had saying. to guess why they put this storyline in, it's to show what taking care of somebody who's sick, what toll. I'm sorry, it's to show the toll that it takes on the caregiver. Right. So I think that it's it's sort of revealing that he's she is obviously the one who's going through the worst thing. Right. With five open heart surgeries and her heart catching on fire and all these awful things. But what (laughs) he's going through is not that much worse. Do you know what I mean? Like she's treating him. I I totally agree with that. I think that it's just I think they do that uh, in several storylines that I can think of. Right off the bat, and I just think they do it in in more nuanced mm-hmm. ways. Um, and this I was clearly, I think, that. meant to be more of a comic storyline. Yes, uh, yes, yes. You know, it'd be very different if she if she died in the open heart surgery, right? I think that that we would be talking about a lot about like regret and last words and that kind of, and that kind of thing. And because the show doesn't go that route, I think it's definitely supposed to be a more comic, yes, <laughs> representation of that caretaker role. So. <laughs> Yeah, I also I also felt like and I I don't know if this is is reaching, but this episode would have come out in 2005 uh, in in sort of fall of 2005. So we'd be a year into George Bush's reelection. And I I just I really feel I'm convinced that this was a meta commentary on Dick Cheney (laughs) (laughs) and his like. I don't even know how many open heart surgeries he's had. I went on to his, his Wikipedia page and it's just absurd. You should really go to the health, the health section of his Wikipedia page. <laughs> but he's had something like five open heart surgeries, including a heart transplant at the age of 71, oh which <clears throat> I have a lot of feelings on that. But uh, heart. I will tell mm-hmm, you my feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just feel like, you know, sort of the comment that, you know, it's her it's her fifth heart surgery. She's like a mythical monster. You know, there was a lot of I remember specifically a John Stewart routine about <laughs> Dick Cheney and his and his, you know, all of his heart complications and just being like how is how is you know like D- Dick Cheney is truly like the Darth Vader of our time, both that's, in like that's real health and deed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yep, I, yep. I just I'm maybe reaching, but I, maybe I've got the election on the brain. But I was like, this feels like a meta commentary on Dick Cheney for sure. <laughs> I a hundred percent read into that. <laughs> I'm a believer. <laughs> We're just going to go with it. That's not what they meant. Too bad. Don't care. (laughs) Do not care. All right. So our next our next medical case of the of this episode is Nicole, who is a young girl. She's she seems to be uh, maybe a high school senior, high school junior. Mm -hmm. She's wheelchair bound, paralyzed. And her parents are definitely overbearing yes (laughs) particularly her mother who seems to make all of the choices for nicole at one point alex says you know that she and her mother share the same brain and i it's i think we were both confused about what she's in there for yes (laughs) but 
Derek, she's in there for one thing. And Derek is interested in pursuing a surgery that would allow her to get rid of her. I think she has a colostomy bag. Yeah. And uh, she wouldn't she wouldn't have to have that anymore if she did the surgery, which comes with its risks. And the parents are pretty anti it. The father is a little bit more open minded, but the mother is just, you know, like absolutely not. She's not going to get the surgery which is interesting because Derek makes sort of a side remark that it's it has or no maybe the mom says we don't want you to have a surgery that has a 20 percent failure rate which and correct me if I'm misunderstanding this but to me that means that like worst case scenario it doesn't work and she goes back to having the colostomy bag do you know what I mean like it's it's it sounds like they're uh, yeah. really worried about the they sound overbearing to me because they're worried about sort of the basic surgical risks that just comes with any surgery, right? That like the surgery might not work. It's got an 80% success rate and a 20% failure. Rate. I don't know. It just is an interesting thing to me that that sort of next level overbearing to me, you know, that like the worst case scenario, she goes back to this, you know, colostomy bag that she already has. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Cause it doesn't seem like it's a life or death thing. Right. With the surgery. I, I agree with you. I didn't get that sense. So it kind of is, you know, not, not to be, totally insensitive but it kind of is like your daughter is already paralyzed and has a colostomy bag so like the worst case scenario is like you like kind of already have right 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 you know no I totally agree (laughs) yeah and it's just interesting I mean you said she's a junior or senior but we we do know she's 18 right because that comes up later when she she eventually decides to have the surgery she says I'm 18 and I can choose this for myself oh right and it's you know eight I mean 18 years old is I don't know. Like, I know when you're 18, you're still very much a kid, but you definitely have a better sense of yourself than you do when you're 16. I don't know. I think that that's just, it's fascinating to watch these. Yeah, you've got some autonomy. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch these two parents really hover over her in a way that zero 18-year-olds that I know ever allowed. (laughs) You know, it's just interesting. Well, and to be fair, you know, her parents have had to assist her right. in ways that most 18-year-olds don't have to rely on their parents, yeah. you know? So so that is true. And, and to kind of further <laughs> not support the mother, but to kind of give her another moment of, okay, like, I can kind of see what you're saying. Derek does try to sell the surgery, by at one point mentioning that it'll really help out her sex life. <laughs> yeah, you know, I said... Which, again, he says to an 18-year-old right. girl when her parents are right there. And it's like, that may very well be true, but that was an incredibly awkward moment. And probably not on, like, at the top of the parents' lists of concerns for their daughter was, like how their 18-year-old kid's sex life is going to turn out. God, I know, but and I hear that, and it was an awkward beat, but I think that what he was trying to do in that moment was, like, get her to take a stake in it, and it became clear in that moment. Yeah. That's when Derek decided, Alex, take care of her, right? You're taking her on wherever you go, she goes, because it, the effort was to get her away from her parents. Literally seduce her into the surgery. <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. But, like, I think that that moment when he says, you know, when her sex life, when that becomes a thing on her mind is like she is 18 you know like that should be on her mind or you know it that shouldn't be completely a foreign thing that she's thinking about and they've sort of created this world where it is you know and he's trying to say you're 18 like you can think about these things and the reason you're not is because of your parents not because of your disability 
you know? Yeah. And I think that that's... your parents in this, like, artificial bubble that right. they've got you in. Right. And so, yeah, it's yeah. awkward, but it's also, like, she's 18, right? She's not 14. And I think, I don't know, I think that I sort of appreciated that when he said that of, like, yeah, she, you're a grown-up. <laughs> like, you're 18 years old. You're, you're entitled, like you said, to some autonomy. So, I don't know. It's awkward, but, like, I don't know. I didn't... Not that bad. But not wrong. <laughs> not wrong. Exactly. Not wrong. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's interesting, right, is that then Derek pushes... Alex off like he essentially tells Nicole or tells Alex you have to take Nicole with you wherever you go and I love Nicole pretty much immediately <laughs> because Alex has to, Alex tries to like pawn her off on a couple people and then he sort of gives up and is resigned to the fact that she's gonna have to go wherever he does and he's <laughs> he takes her to lunch and they're sitting around with the interns and Izzy or somebody is like who's this and she's like I'm Nicole I'm Alex's charity case <laughs> Yes. And I think that we're seeing that she is 18, right? She kind of presents as quite young when we first see her because she's got this sort of babyish haircut and her tone of voice and the way she's talking to her parents and stuff. You really she sort of presents as much younger. And then pretty quickly we see like, no, like you can hold your own, you know. You're you're a little sassy and I don't know. I like her. Yeah. No, I I like her too. She had some great comedic moments and you thought she was going to be a really awkward, you know, representation of a homeschooled sheltered kid and she actually turns out to be quite savvy and funny which is which is good but uh I definitely was was really uncomfortable with this (laughs) storyline because Derek has kind of you know he's he's kind of encouraged Alex to play up the fact that Alex is good looking and older and, you know, the cool young doctor. And, you know, he says at some point, you know, she likes you or she's got a crush on you or something. And, and it's just, it's so, it's incredibly uncomfortable. (laughs) They definitely have conversations that go beyond the, the, beyond the bounds of what they should be having as patient doctor which I f- just feel is really important to never lose sight of the fact that they're like patient and doctor, uh, yeah. a patient and doctor. Yeah. 18 year old patient and like 28 year old doctor. And <laughs> it's just, it just seems, it seems like a weird approach, like go be cool and sexually appealing in order to get this teenager to counter her parents. Yeah. I, I don't know though. Like I their plan for her life. I hear that. And I hear that it is like, you know, it's, it's, it is inappropriate. I'm not trying to say that it's not. But I do think that one of the things that Derek is saying, and maybe this is just rose-colored glasses with my viewpoint of Derek, of saying, like, <laughs> yeah, get her to... I don't think it's just about the surgery, right? I think it's about, like, get her to take a stake in her own life. You know, like, she's her parents yeah. are making all of the decisions for her, and she's 18 years old, and that's that's not necessary anymore. You know, she's she's totally aware of her situation, and... She's not standing up because like because she's too nice. Right. You kind of get the sense because it's she doesn't want to hurt her parents feelings or something like that. Right. Which is the wrong reason to make medical decisions about yourself. Yeah. But I just feel like on the other hand, it's kind of not really Derek's place. Like it's not really it's not really his place to sort of have an opinion on the like relationship dynamics of a kid in in her family or a patient in their family at all you know what I mean like he's kind of he's kind of moving into like child psychology here for a hot second like he's 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 a little bit working outside of his realm of expertise in my opinion where I'm just like I I get that you want her to choose this surgery because you think it's what's best for her 
but I feel like he's broadened that into this whole other thing about like taking us like making a claim on your life, you know, for your life. And it's like, well, it's kind of not really his job, you know? Yeah, I think I think you're right that he's absolutely overstepping the, the realm of his position as a, you know, brain surgeon. Which he is always doing because he thinks he's God. Yeah. And I find yeah. that really frustrating. But do you think that she genuinely <laughs> doesn't want the surgery? I don't know, to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah. I think she's scared, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think she's scared sort of in the micro sense of, like, I'm scared of this surgery and, you know, what if it doesn't work? And I think she's scared in the macro sense of, like, what would more independence look like for me, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like she has a very typical 18-year-old fear as well of, like, what, what does this mean? What's my life going to look like if it's not – if it's not what it always has been. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that seems like a pretty Well, that's like a pretty, a pretty normal 18-year-old thing, right? Like that's yeah. like a going yeah, to college exactly. thing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Yeah, and so I feel like Derek's just kind of inserting himself into what is, you know, if you if you remove the surgical aspect, what is like a pretty normal moment of like wanting to get away from your parents but also being truly terrified about what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I, I I absolutely hear what you're saying in terms of what what is frustrating to me about this is that, and this is, I guess what's frustrating to me is that it's one more time where, like you said, Derek oversteps where he should and gets ultimately rewarded <laughs> for it. You know, yes. that, like he gets thanked yeah. for that. And I, yeah. and I completely recognize that as like a, it, it doesn't particularly bother me, the relationship that Nicole has with Alex or, you know, like, I don't know, I, I, I think that we disagree a little bit on, on the execution of it, but I totally agree that Derek is absolutely getting once again rewarded for something he shouldn't have done, you know, or for like stretching the limits of, of what he's allowed to do both personally and professionally. Yes, that's that's a great, great way of articulating <laughs> one of my issues with the storyline. But my other issue is 100% like this this interaction between Alex and Nicole. And I think that it comes from a place of like, as someone who works with college students and is is a young, has been a young college instructor and will continue to be for a while, it's it that's like a weird that's a weird time, right? Oh, like yeah. eighteen year olds who idolize you and look up to you and are and find you probably appealing in like yes. a more romanticized way. It's like that's incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> and Alex leans into that instead of establishing you know a cl- the clear firm boundary that he a hundred percent should have and so for instance somehow they you know she gets involved in his ongoing spat with Izzy where Izzy's super pissed off that she that he didn't kiss her at the end of the night which I'm still very confused as to why Izzy is this mad about him like chickening out of I will say she did say she had one night off in two weeks (laughs) yes so if you're not getting a kiss out of that night I would be pissed too (laughs) and she shaved her legs I mean come on (laughs) that takes time but uh so you know this culminates in the girl asking Alex for a kiss Mm mm-hmm and this scene makes my skin crawl. You said in your notes that Jacob was literally oh freaking out in the next room while this scene played out. Like, I wish I could have been there because Jacob and I would have been, like, pacing the room together. I mean, I've like, seen this episode a hundred times, and, like, I knew it happened, but it was clear that he'd never seen this episode before. And he's, like, playing a card game 
in the next room, but he can hear the TV and he's like, don't do it, Karev, Karev, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Like he just wouldn't stop. I mean, all the way down to the, until that scene is over. And he's like, oh my God, he just, he was losing his mind over it. Too close, man. Too close. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll, I will pull a snippet of this audio. He gives what's a really beautiful monologue, yeah. actually, Truly. about what yeah. a first kiss should be. But you have to understand, and, you know, if you are an avid watcher of Grey's, you know that he delivers this monologue about two inches away from this 18-year-old girl's face yeah. as she sits yeah. there with her eyes closed thinking about kissing him. Yeah. And he's saying, For a kiss to be really good, you want it to mean something. You want it to be with someone you can't get out of your head. So that when your lips finally touch, you feel it everywhere. A kiss so hot and so deep, you never want to come up for air. And so <laughs> it's at that moment where I'm basically just yelling at my television. Just, no, no. You and Jacob. Like, hands over my eyes. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Because if you look at it from that perspective of this 28-year-old man two inches from an 18-year-old patient's face telling her what a first kiss should be moments after she's asked him for a first kiss, like, that's pretty fucked up. You know, like, no matter what spin you put on it. <laughs> That's no, not, that's not great. Wildly inappropriate. <laughs> that's not great. <laughs> Good look, Graham. I will say, like my last, my last bit about about this case is that um, we've talked a little bit about this before. How Alex eventually, and this isn't a spoiler, I don't think, but that he goes on to declare peds as his specialty, and we've talked about this before. And so I think that there are absolutely issues with this case, but I always go back to his tone that he takes with peds patients, and I just, I really think that he speaks to kids or to, you know, pediatric patients with a very high level of respect. And I think that yeah. he does that with Nicole and maybe he does take it too far, particularly in that last scene. But I think that he really treats kids as people, right? When you're, when you're dealing, when you're a ped surgeon, you're, you're dealing with their parents, but ultimately I think that he talks to kids in a way that their parents won't and that most other doctors won't. And I think he does that with Nicole. And I think that that ultimately is what encourages her, right? When he gives this beautiful monologue, because he's taking her seriously, you know, he's not talking to her like she's five. He's talking to her like she's 18. And I think that that's something I really admire about him as a doctor. And you can sort of see as we, as we get further and further on his sort of his character arc, we see that development in this case and that he really does have an excellent tone with Nicole in terms of, talking to her as a as a young woman and not as a child. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that's really true and a great point. And I love every time you catch these these <laughs> moments of like of foreshadowing but in a positive way his relationship to peds because yeah. I somehow always forget that and miss it and then I read <laughs> it in your notes and I'm like, "Damn, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Shonda's like planting those seeds yeah. and then they're going to blossom." Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's such, I mean, it's such a far cry from the, you know, we have a fucking bit named after him because he's such a dick, you know? And so I think that it's really, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I really, I really, really like Karev. And even, even on the most recent seasons, it's really, I just really appreciate his character. And I really appreciate how far he's come, even in just, you know, however many episodes we've done so far. So, yeah. Yeah. Big Karev fan. Well, should we move on to where Yang and Burke are at this time? <laughs> yeah, and I frankly don't think we'll need this is 
uh, I think that we are something that we actually, I think, agree on is this. Yeah, we don't need a lot of time. This particular (laughs) anecdote that, so what happens, right, is that Yang is, Burke wants to tell the chief, right, this is the issue, is that Burke wants to tell the chief that they're in a relationship in in sort of a nod of transparency, toward transparency, right, that Burke wants the chief's job eventually, and he wants to sort of be the best man he can be in terms of um, advancing at the workplace as a surgeon. Right. And, And that involves transparency for him. And Yang doesn't want to. Yang's like, I don't want to be labeled as Meredith. She's such a spectacle in this particular episode that Yang is really putting a lot of sort of pressure on her I don't know pressure on the situation she's really worried that she's gonna people are gonna look at her the way that they did Meredith with Derek and so and rightfully so yes absolutely absolutely Meredith is like a she is such a spectacle in this particular episode it's really tough to watch and so toward the end of the episode Burke is walking across the catwalk toward the chief's office and Yang happens to see him and stops him and she says, like, please don't do this. It's clear that Burke is about to tell the chief about their relationship. And Yang says, please don't do this. And he's like, I have to, Christina. Like, we need to be transparent. It's important or whatever his fucking reasons are. And Christina goes into a list of maybe three or five reasons why he doesn't, she does not want Burke to do this. And they involve, like, not only does she not want to be looked at like Meredith, but also... She has worked her ass off to get in this program and to stay in this program. And this mm-hmm. is, is seriously jeopardizing that. And she doesn't want to just be, you know, seen as somebody who's sleeping with her boss. And just I just want to pause for a minute and say that what Burke is trying to do, if we look at Yang as an intern and her boss is Bailey and Bailey's boss is Burke and Burke's boss is the chief. What Burke wants to do is tell Yang's boss's boss's boss about his re- her relationship. Right. And I just think that that's like. That's a huge, huge deal. Like, I cannot imagine being in that situation. And I think that Christina's, now I've gone into my commentary about it, but Christina's reasons are so valid, right? That she's, not only is she a young female, but she's a young female of color who's, like, worked so hard to get where she is. And I just, like, this scene just makes my skin crawl watching it. Because Burke then turns around and goes and tells the chief. Yep. And I just, like, (sighs) just, just, just turns his heel. And immediately just, I, I like the, just the complete dismissal of yes. her wishes for this relationship repeatedly, mm-hmm. the way that he dismisses that there's a second person in this relationship is so frustrating for me to watch. And beyond that, and we'll get into this, I guess, a little bit later, but my sort of second point here is that Earlier in the episode, she comes out and says, we are a couple. She says that to him. She says, you and I are a couple. You know, like she says the thing that he's been wanting to hear and nagging her about hearing. After he dumped her, he dumped her. (laughs) And so she says that and it's like that, that now that's not enough. Like he's constantly moving the goalposts and it's incredibly unfair to this person that he knows is is several steps behind him in terms of of what she's ready for in a relationship. And he knows that he's much older than her. He's had much more experience in most things, presumably. Mm -hmm. And he's still totally unwilling to give her that time and that space. Like as soon as he gets one thing from her, it's, well, that's not good enough. I wanted this. Yeah. And ah, I'm tired for her. Yeah. He (laughs) is really just, I, I just, he's just chipping away at her. 
it's just one thing after another. And I just feel like she's whittling away and she's just bending at, I don't know. It just, it's really, really hard for me to watch. Yeah. It's awful. Speaking of things that are hard to watch, (laughs) how about those couples counseling scenes? Oh my God. Oh my God. It's so Addison and Derek are in couples counseling (laughs) with like the world's worst counselor. Yes, seriously. He's just collecting those payments. He doesn't give a shit. (laughs) It's awful. He looks just delighted when he says, our time's up. Yep. (laughs) Like, oh, I managed to just make another $200 off of doing nothing. (laughs) Go me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But they have two major concerns. And you and I, I think we're equally ambivalent on this front and like undecided about how we feel. Addison feels that Derek needs to stop talking to Meredith and that needs to happen immediately. And Derek thinks that Addison needs to move out to Seattle and that that needs to happen immediately. He's Mm. not moving back to New York to go live, you know, their old sort of fraudulent life. Right. Right. Neither will agree to that. (laughs) And the therapist is like, time's up. Like what I think is not to like hammer on the therapist, but like they're both, off, they're both offering these like or not even offering demanding these like pretty intense lifestyle changes for either or right like either a move or a, a you know cease of conversation with a colleague and and this therapist offers no guidance there of saying like well I just think that it's so I don't know I, I, I almost wish that he had because maybe that would give me some guidance with how I feel about either of these things because I don't you know I don't think that yeah I think that both are reasonable, right? That that Derek doesn't want to move back to New York and move back into, like you said, their fraudulent life. And asking Derek to stop talking to Meredith is clearly very, very difficult, right? It's, you know, I think it's a reasonable demand, but like like you said, should there be a grace period or window there? I don't know. You know, I don't know what the answer to that is. And I, I it's yeah. just, it's really, I don't know. It's, I think they're really, really tough demands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and our TV therapist just does not help us. Yeah, out he's as like, an oh, that's a real humdinger. How to navigate yeah. these waters? And th- the episode ends, you know, with Addison, the, you know, the chief offering her a position at Seattle Grace. He's quite serious about having her there. You know, he says, "I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is," and mm-hmm. and I'm like, mm, "Addison, bad bitch, you get paid." Word. <laughs> uh, and Derek says you know that he's he's not going to talk to Meredith Uh, it feels like one of these is an impossible standard and it's the one where Derek's not going to talk to Meredith ever again you know like it seems like it's setting him up for failure (laughs) in the first couples therapy session Addison is making this demand and, and Derek says no you know I work with her I can't stop talking to her and then there's this scene toward the end of the episode where um, he wants to grab Meredith. Meredith is, you know, upset about something or he just wants to talk to her. And he says, Meredith, and he's st- sort of trying to grab her in the hallway. And Bailey steps in and and gives this breathtaking monologue of, of the mm-hmm. just truly just sort of standing up for Meredith and says, you know, you can't help her and you can't fix her. And she is broken into a thousand pieces. And you did that. And talking to her is not going to make it better. And you know that. Like, you are the bad person in her story right now. And you need to take a step back and leave her be to heal. And and it's not your job anymore. 
and it and Derek is and that monologue just like it gives me goosebumps because of the the it's it's a little bit maternal but it's also just a good friend move on Bailey's you know on Bailey's part that I really Mm -hmm. really really love that she stands up for Meredith in that way because she shits on her interns a lot (laughs) and so to see sort of that genuine um compassion that she has for Meredith is I really really am a huge sucker for that yeah but I think that that's one of the things that sort of precipitated Derek's ultimate decision to not talk to her anymore right that he couldn't come to that decision on his own he needed Bailey to say no you can't do that because he always needs Bailey to tell him what to do in his you know romantic you know relationship endeavors and so I think that it's it's actually immediately after that scene that he says to the therapist and to Addison I won't talk to Meredith anymore because Bailey has told him not to and I think that that's an important component of this decision right that he couldn't even make that decision himself because he's so in love with Meredith that he can't he can't force himself on his own volition to do that yeah yeah it's it is a really key moment in the episode and I it still just feels like it's not a particularly convincing no. I'm not going to talk to Meredith anymore. You know, it's like a no. pouting child. Absolutely. And I'm not going to talk to Meredith I anymore. I mean, you really it's really hard to believe them in this. And and I think intentionally so, you know, like there's that little bit where Addison grabs goes for Derek's hand and he won't grab it and it's like makes my skin crawl because it's so uncomfortable. It's awful. It's so oh, hard it's to It's all watch. terrible. But it's like this tiny And it is very much like what are you like what are you fighting for? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a really great question. Like what marriage we have. We've never seen them together. It's really hard. I adore Addison, you know, but it's really hard to want to fight for their marriage when you see how much Meredith and Derek work together and you haven't seen Mm -hmm. any semblance of love between (laughs) Derek and Addison, that it's really hard to fight for them, I think. And I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. This like last scene is sort of like, all right, how long is this going to last? You know, like at what, what are you, what's the goal here? And I think that next episode is interested in sort of writing that ship a little bit and Mm. trying to give us a sense of what existed before she cheated and before that all imploded. But it's definitely, yeah. I mean, right now it's very much like, why are you even, you're both so miserable. You make each other so miserable. Right. Like what, aside from the combination of your fantastic hair together, is there to fight for? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Should we do some bits? Let's do it. Song of the week. I didn't. Nothing really stuck out to me. I like went back and looked at the Wikipedia or the Wikia page for it, and I was like, "Oh, I think I remember some of these." <laughs> I so. picked a song of the week. I picked "Since You've Been Around" by Rosie Thomas. best view in the city that Addison had found in her like Seattle guidebook (laughs) (laughs) and she says something really snide like it's not it's not quite the view from the top of the Empire State Building and I was like wanking motion whatever (laughs) Addison how many times do you think people like actual New Yorkers go to the top of the Empire State Building like that's that's a fucked up thing to say (laughs) Uh, but this song is playing at that point and I have to say that I cheated 
I went to the wiki page and just listened to all of the songs and picked the one I liked. See, <laughs> and I knew that that's what I was going to end up doing, and I didn't have that in me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got here. Great. <laughs> um, death Tally? God, why do I keep forgetting the Death <laughs> did Tally? Did you forget it again? Oh, you totally did, didn't I you? I forgot <laughs> it again, dude. <laughs> um... <laughs> In fairness, there's not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any deaths. I said one teratoma and one Griswold marriage. Yeah, I think that's. Those are I more symbolic it, deaths. Right? So no actual yeah, deaths. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the teratoma had it's like, true. bits of DNA and stuff. So right? closer to a real death. <laughs> um. uh, 007. <laughs> All right. What do you have for 007. So I, I was a little bit torn about this. I mean, if we define 007 as people who really fucked up as doctors, I, I think that you could argue Yang for being like a total shit doctor to the nurse. Something that like I just really genuine, genuinely believe as a part of being a physician is being good to your nurses, you know, yeah, and she right. really screws that up. I also would argue the joint award for Izzy and Christina, who were pretty terrible to Shane in a lot of ways you know yeah. that they were sort of I, in it for the for the fanfare instead of in it for the medicine so I don't know what it, what did you think yeah I I went for the Izzy and Christina combination because they were so self-centered about the Shane thing yeah and they couldn't sort of see beyond themselves to actually take care of the patient and notice that he was clearly quite scared the wife was quite scared they didn't ever really explain what was going on and it took a meredith intervention to sort of get them on track so yeah. so i went with them i mean they didn't make any you know cataclysmic medical choices with shane but they just weren't interested in their patient at all they were interested in the spectacle of their patient so yeah 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 um on the other hand chief resident i gave it to karev <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. I know. <laughs> I just thought he did a good job with Nicole and maybe he took it too far. And like in hindsight, when I think about that scene where he almost kissed her, it makes me pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> but I think that ultimately he got her. Jacob's to... going to listen to this and be like, we're in a fight. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> but I think that he believed in her. You know, I go, I'm such a sucker for yeah, his tone with kids. For her. And he totally advocated yeah. for her. And he didn't want to it at the got beginning. Her to advocate for herself. Well, yeah. yes, exactly, which is more important. And I think that in the beginning he was so pissed that he got sort of stuck with her, but he stuck it out, you know, and kind of enjoyed it yeah. and really and really taught her to advocate for herself. So I'm giving it to him proudly. Yeah, you stand by that scene where he almost kisses the 18 year old girl. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I gave it to I gave it to Meredith. I was mm. really impressed with her this episode. She. You know, she had her episode last episode where she was just totally inside of her own head about what was happening around her. Uh, and this episode, I really had to give her credit. She's having probably one of the shittiest days of her life, certainly of her professional career. And she she was really there for her patient when her patient and his wife really needed a doctor to be thinking about them and caring for them and looking at their best interest. And so she might have still done it from this sort of place of, um, I don't know, of too much empathy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. she was putting herself into his shoes, which mm -hmm. is a problem with all of our interns mm -hmm. except for Yang. <laughs> but it still led to a good, a good result. And I thought that was commendable. So yeah. Meredith yeah. for me. 
That was a great choice. I kind of forgot that she was a great doctor in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what about for Karev? What'd you have uh, for Karev? I, you know, that's, I, I went with Burke. I was thinking about Yang because of the Debbie thing, mm-hmm. but I was kind of thinking that that's like an, an as, as far as we know, sort of isolated incident between her and Debbie, and presumably she's going to learn something now and <laughs> be different in the future. Whereas Burke's issue here with like unilaterally making decisions in their relationship is now a pretty consistent pattern. And so that to me is a much, it's a much more big picture Karev concern. And so. Yeah. He's getting himself I, to the federal level here. Yeah. He's getting there. I mean, I mean he's not quite Derek's Derek, got a pretty solid hold, but like <laughs> he's inching his but way yeah, up I'm, to that I level. remain steadfastly unimpressed by Burke in yeah. his personal life right now. So. Yeah, I actually had the same answer that I sort of gave it to combo Yang Burke. Yang in the sense that she was a real jerk to the to Debbie. And I think that, you know, she had all of that shit coming to her when Debbie sort of turned on her. But ultimately to, to Burke, right, for t- exactly the reasons that you said, for blatantly ignoring her rational explanation to him. And I, I just, I don't know. He's, I agree. I, I, yeah. He's just so frustrating to watch. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah he's got a he's got a he's got some catching up to do he really does (laughs) he really does um line of the week i you know originally had i loved yours (laughs) mine yeah i had sort of a funny one and then i mean i think that we could almost have a bit itself that's monologue of the week (laughs) which i would i would give to bailey for her monologue to Derek about meredith or you know possibly even to karev for her, uh, his monologue to Nicole about first kisses, both of which I think are, are very, very yeah. powerful. But my line We're is getting like, into the golden era of Gray's monologues, it's, I think. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's really true. Um, I had, I had though, when Nicole says to Karev, if I had the chance to kiss someone I liked, I wouldn't hesitate. And Karev says, if I had a chance to lose the urine bag around my ankle, I wouldn't hesitate. <laughs> which is, I think, is a great, like, brother-sister one-two punch there. <laughs> it is. I thought that was a great line. I went with the monologue. You know, I'm a I'm a sucker for monologues, um, as as people could probably tell from my monologuing on this show. And <laughs> I just really liked Bailey uh, standing up for Meredith to Derek. Yeah. Look, you can't do this. You don't have the right. Not anymore. I just want to find out if she's okay. No, she's not. She's a human traffic accident, and everybody's slowing down to look at the wreckage. She's doing the best she can with what she has left. Look, I know you can't see this because you're in it, but you can't help her now. It'll only make it worse. Walk away. Leave her to men. And, you know, she starts out with, she's a human traffic accident, and then just goes on and oh, and it's gosh. and it's sad it's sad to hear meredith described the way that bailey describes her it you is. know you kind of want to be like she's still here guys she's working <laughs> she's right she's, over there <laughs> she's right over there man but it is it's at like the, the same time really nice <laughs> yeah but it is at the same time really nice to to see someone stepping up to derek and saying you know, kind of what Meredith has been saying to him for a few episodes now of like, own your shit. Like you did this. And yeah, and that's just how it is. You don't you don't get to have all of these complicated <laughs> feelings at me. Right. Like you right. can have them with yourself, 
but you're not going to have them at me, the person you screwed over. So Yeah, and you know, something I just thought of was that I, th- I really appreciate... Another reason that I really appreciate this monologue is because there's sort of this ongoing joke in this episode that the only thing that anybody has to talk about is uh, is Meredith and her love life. And there's this funny scene <laughs> yes. at the end of the episode at the bar when Meredith's like, you really, with, with her, her fellow interns, and she's like, you really don't have anything else to talk about but me, do you? And they're like, nope. But they're all talking about her, right? And nobody's really standing yeah. up for her. It's not that her friends don't care about her, but this is such an active thing that Bailey's doing by standing up for her. You know, she's really taking an active stance yeah. in Meredith trying to heal in a way that, like, even her closest friends aren't really doing. <laughs> and no, I, no. I mean, I appreciate that they run interference a couple of times. Yeah, like, but nothing... Actually grab her by the arms and lead her away from Derek. Right. But, you know... Bailey, by dint of of her position, right, is right. is much more able to actually stand for Meredith, yeah, against the superior. So yeah. it's just a really wonderful thing to watch. So we have a super special medical fact of the week today, which actually brings our first guest star here at Code Grays. We are sitting here with with Jacqueline, who is. Both, so it's a super special time for me because both of these wonderful women were in my wedding last year, um, and and I'm super excited to Jacqueline have us all. Was maid of honor, and she was honestly like she should write a book. I know, I know. very. If impressive. anybody doesn't have any best friends out there, you can borrow mine. It's <laughs> like <laughs> Jacqueline, you should hire yourself out. Honestly, <laughs> truly. So. Jacqueline was my maid of honor. She's also an awesome friend. She's super funny. There's a lot of really interesting things about her. But one of the lesser known interesting things about Jacqueline is that she actually had a teratoma, which is awesome. As previously discussed, if you have not Googled teratomas, do yourself a favor and go go to that up. Wikipedia page. Oh my Stop God. Stop listening to us and go read the Wikipedia page. Pause it. We will wait back. here for you. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you are changed for the better. <laughs> um, so Jacqueline's here to actually tell us a little bit about her experience of having a teratoma. And I'm just really looking forward to it. Do you want to say hi, Jacqueline? Hey. <laughs> there we go. It's good. It's good. I feel like one of the first things I ever learned about Jacqueline was that she had a teratoma. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I feel I like I met everyone. Jacqueline one time and then maybe the second time. It was like, oh, my God, I heard you had a very large teratoma removed. I'd love to hear more about that. (laughs) (laughs) She just, like, gave death, like, a death stare to Megan. (laughs) So what I'm interested in talking to Jacqueline about is a little bit about sort of her experience with it. But there's also a lot of sort of interesting family lore about the teratoma in Jacqueline's family. where And we'll sort of get into this about what teratomas actually are. Uh, in terms of the science behind them, but it's it's developed into sort of a an awesome family tale that to this day still <laughs> still carries a lot of weight around the dinner table. So, just so our readers know that it's it's going to be a little twofold here. So, <laughs> it's oh, it's just going to be so great. <laughs> so, I guess we can start by Jacqueline. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about like when you I'm interested in sort of when you found out about it what like maybe if you if you could actually maybe tell us just like what is a teratoma what do you as in sort of a first-hand perspective what do you know about them it's okay if it's not 100 percent scientifically accurate I mean are you like trying to get at that I killed my twins <laughs> yes 
Yes, one hundred percent. So if you could actually maybe tell us a little bit about what your I know I've talked to Jacqueline's mo- mother extensively about this as well, about when you were when you were in utero, right? Like her experience of being pregnant with you. Um, yeah, which we never like super. I think it was a couple of years after my surgery that we connected the two. But so when my mom was pregnant with me, she ran in for some routine like checkup. And they told her that they lost the baby, that I was, like, dead. <laughs> um, and so she was scheduled to go in for a DNC. And it was while her main doctor was out of town or something. I don't know. He wasn't there. And there was some nurse who was like, um, I'm super not qualified to say this, but I kind of think that I might hear a heartbeat. So um, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that. But, yeah, definitely hear a heartbeat. So... And this was, like, after my mom had, like, thought the baby was dead for, like, a good week. And then, um, so my mom, like, ran out of the hospital, like, in her hospital garb and whatever. And then I came back, like, waited till her doctor was back in town and came back and was like, psych, guess your baby's not dead. Um, yeah. Holy so, cow. That's nuts. Yeah, which is. <laughs> she was literally there for her DNC? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. nuts. So um, wasn't dead, and at the time was just like, oh, Jacqueline's a miracle baby. It's how I got my nickname, uh, Pooch and Dozy, which means a delightful surprise in Dutch. Um, also, maybe because that was a mistake, one of the two. But um, <laughs> <laughs> how did I not know that? Can you say that word again? Pooch and Dozy. Oh my god, that's so exciting! Yeah, it's a really good one. So they call her Pooch for short. <laughs> yeah, that's freaking precious. Go on. I know. <laughs> anyway was because they're like oh you like were dead and then you weren't dead but then turns out that actually it was me killing my twin was the whole like dead baby so so but just to clarify here right so you you did like the joke right is that you killed your twin which is you know clearly has carries a lot of truth to it right but when you have a teratoma it's it's you you actually absorb it right that's what happens when you have a teratoma yeah. <laughs> right. Is that? I, I isn't that like? Isn't that? I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jacqueline. I mean, I prefer to say like. Right. I well, because her, what happens, her. right? I is destroyed that, her. <laughs> but I suppose I just absorbed her. Like I was hungry, wanted a snack. Well. And ate my twin. <laughs> but yes, that is the concept. Yes, I absorbed my twin. Okay. So, Jacqueline Puchendozi is born, and then fast forward. How many years? Uh, 18. I just turned 18 like a couple days. Or I was like a week after turning 18. Before, like you had just turned 18 and then what? Like, oh. like, <laughs> so like in this episode, right, this guy is, you know, quote unquote, eight months pregnant because he's having a hysterical pregnancy that's actually a teratoma. Like what was sort of what precipitated the the it there? Yeah. Um, I'd gone over to my friend's house um, and had come home at some point and I think I said like I wasn't feeling well earlier in that day and then came home from my friend's house because I was complaining of a stomachache and not to sound super cocky but I have pretty high tolerance for pain and so my parents were like that's super strange like she would never just go home from a friend's house because of a stomachache that's just not who she is um and so we had called like a close friend of ours a doctor friend um and he kind of asked me some routine questions and was like you guys should go into the er and get things checked out and then 
wasn't that much longer that I was like getting um, a bunch of tests done and a nurse left me in the room and said, you have a teratoma, use a computer, feel free to Wikipedia it. She did not. <laughs> no. Yeah. Whoa. We didn't with have your mom phone. in the room or no, just my dad was with me, But we didn't have like cell phones then and there's no I don't know. So so yes. And let me tell you that the Wikipedia page then is very different than it is now. So I on the Wikipedia page it had told me that it was ninety eight percent chance that it was malignant. So a nurse basically left me with a computer and was oh like, God. Hey, you probably have cancer. Here's the computer. Holy yeah. cow. So I just want to point out the difference between the initial nurse with your mother 18 years before that yes. and then 18 years later, a nurse that said, here's a computer, you probably have cancer. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say that. The computer said that. But yes, that was the only information I got. Right. Was a, feel free to Wikipedia this. Oh, my God. Wow. So then was there, I mean, was there a... Uh, a mass that like you could distinguish because in this Grey's Anatomy episode, right? It's this guy, Shane Herman, and he has what looks like a pregnant right. belly, right? Like it's, it's so large that it looks as though he is growing a fetus inside of his male version of a womb. <laughs> so was yours like something that you could actually like see and feel or not remotely at, at no, all like that? But it probably would have gotten to that point if they had a, caught it when they did well I mean technically it's been with me since birth but when I went in and got my initial scans it was they said like the size of a tennis ball and by the time that I went in for surgery which was only I want to say like three four days later it was the size of a baby holy cow what yeah wow which again probably should have done my fact checking on my own medical history but I'm not sure why all of a sudden it was growing so fast but um it was like wrapping around my fallopian tubes which is what's causing the like crazy pain that I was feeling uh, oh my god oh I can imagine oh, <laughs> so did you like was it did it feel like really terrible cramps like that sounds I don't mean to trivialize it but like was it that was it a pain familiar to that or was it more like a nauseated pain like you know how did you I mean, I agree that, like, I've known Jacqueline for a long time, and she's never one to sort of complain about basically any sort of bodily harm. <laughs> and so I'm just interested in sort of, like, how you, I don't know, like, how would you describe that? It was hard because I didn't, like, know how to describe it. So, like, really bad cramping, I guess, was the best way I could describe it to the nurse. But it was, like, I don't know. It was mostly, like, getting stabbed with a knife in my side uh-huh. all the time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It was not. God. It was definitely the most yeah. painful, like painful experience I've ever been in. When they actually like removed the teratoma, I mean, so in again to refer back to this this crazy episode, you know, they find like teeth and hair. Um, there's this article on uh, the Guardian um, that describes uh, in 2003 there was this 25 year old in Japan who had, um, like, an almost fully formed ovarian teratoma. And, like, like it was a fetus, like, and the body was covered with, like, fine, downy hair. Ah. And 
Um, in the center of its forehead yeah. was, quote, a single soft spherical fluid-filled eye cloaked by thick, long eyelashes. It had one ear, all its limbs, a brain, a spinal nerve, intestines, bones, and blood vessels, even a jaw already ruptured by several teeth. And it also had what looked like a phallus positioned neatly between its legs. She was growing a man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Oh my God. That's crazy. So did they give you, did you like, were they able to see anything on the scans or did you, and it's totally fine if the answer is no, but like, was there anything like particularly nasty about it? Anything totally like, crazy that came out? <laughs> yeah. It had the, your usual hair and teeth. Me and my dad really wanted to save it in a jar, but they wouldn't want to. They that wouldn't was going to be one of my questions yeah. to you. I was like, if anyone right. would save their teratoma, it would totally be yeah. Jacqueline. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. So were you, were you in the hospital for that, those entire four days between when they found it and when they operated? Uh, no, I went home and then went in on New Year's Day, missed the sugar bowl that I had tickets to afterwards. Mm. some recovery time and Katrina had happened or so things weren't great down there I don't know but I was not Mm. no I went home and then came back for surgery four days later so when you watched this episode I assume you've seen this episode yeah yeah? I wanted to rewatch it before (laughs) we chatted but I didn't but yes I've seen it (laughs) okay that's okay Were were you very much like, oh, my God, this is my lived experience? Or were you just like, this is the crack of shit? <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is, like, mine wasn't visible. So that was, like, clearly it was pregnant male, which I didn't have that experience. And I don't know if his was just, I can't remember, like, his timeline of things. So maybe that would have eventually happened to me. But that part seemed unrealistic to me. But other than that, I was like, yeah. What up, Team Teratoma? I don't know. <laughs> Representation. <laughs> I think there's another Teratoma episode somewhere later in the season, too. There, there is. There's been uh, a few over the there years. There definitely is. There's some guy who tries to save it in a jar, too, right? Yeah, because Meredith like, and Bailey twin. work on it together. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a brain. Um, it's a Teratoma in the brain. Whoa. And I think they find a tiny foot. Oh, yeah, that was a thing. But I could also be referring to an article that I read on teratomas <laughs> back when I was like pretty obsessed with teratomas. I think you know <laughs> significantly more about teratomas than I do. <laughs> Actually, I know that you do because you've already stopped. Yes, but I haven't lived a teratoma. See? <laughs> Could you have lived with it forever? Like, is it something that they thought would have become cancerous? You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, and I don't know, maybe you don't know the answer to this. And maybe, Teresa, you came up across something like this in, in your reading. But, like, I don't know how many teratomas, you know, what their sort of cancer rate is. I just think that that's, I just wonder if it's something that you could have lived with forever. Yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Teresa probably yeah, knows. Okay. Teresa's. <laughs> <laughs> <don't> know <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it kind of looks like, I mean, they're super rare, right? So there are, like, yeah. there are less than 20,000 cases of teratomas a year, which is which is absurdly low for, you know, a medical disorder. And so they're benign or malignant, and it seems like they rarely require chemotherapy or radiation. Mm. Um, But I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that means that they're rarely malignant or that they rarely are malignant and require that kind of intervention. I don't, 
I don't know what other intervention. <laughs> right. You know, I guess I guess that just means when they excise the tumor, if it's malignant, it usually doesn't reoccur, right? So Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. That's kind of all I can find about that. Huh. I remember that and this is circa the twenty two thousand eight Wikipedia page, but that it was a made a big difference on your age. Like I remember that I just turned eighteen was like a good thing because if you're under 18 or it was the opposite that I since I don't know one of the two was like the 98 percentile was if you turned 18 then it was most likely malignant but if you caught it when you were a baby that it was benign or something like that I don't know. Huh. Huh. but again the wikipedia page not very reliable so <laughs> sure <quote> that. <laughs> I love that she sent you like instead of sending you to like the mayo clinic or something she right. was like here read this wikipedia page not even like what? webmd yeah. you know like <laughs> I feel like even in 2008, we all knew that Wikipedia was not the source right. for yeah. authentic information. <laughs> Is there any, like, history, like, family history of anything like this? Or <laughs> nope? Just you? Not really. I mean, the thing, I think we had never thought of it because twins are somewhere in your family line. But my dad was adopted, and we don't really know anything about his mm. family line. So mm. it might have been somewhere throughout that because I don't know but no no history I'm the only one Small so yeah lucky you no kidding yeah. <laughs> my sister still mourns the day she lost her favorite sister but so, so this is this is the this is the real rich stuff right is that Jacqueline's family will be sitting around having dinner and they'll say something like well the twin would have never done that if like Jacqueline insults yeah. somebody or something like that and they they like mourn the death of the the better sister <laughs> Right. And it's common that that Jacqueline's sister, Jennifer, will say things like that, you know, like, oh, I always knew that there was someone better out there. Yep. And you <laughs> consumed her. in the womb. I say that I did everyone a favor, but. Uh, right. She's, See, she's this is awful. my mind. She's the worst. I just spend a lot of time with her. She sucks. <laughs> so. And it's great, you know, like even Jacqueline's mom, who to this day will still, you know, get teary eyed about talking about Jacqueline's tumor because it was obviously really, really, really hard on her. And, you know, she's a she feels things very strongly. And it's I don't know, it's a, it's a really incredible story. But even even Mrs. Perel will throw down insults every once in a while <laughs> about the twin that wasn't, you know. Yeah, it's a really fun bit. Love that. It's a, it's a good bit. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I bet. It's just a blast for you. Yep. <laughs> well, Jacqueline, I think that's I think that's kind of what what we got for you today. Thanks for being a friggin' yeah, champion. Thanks for having me. Sorry I'm not as educated. Getting on here to so your As you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was awesome. Are you kidding me? When Megan was like, dude, we know someone who had a teratoma. I was just like, you're a genius. This is incredible. <laughs> this is the best thing that could ever happen. <laughs> we might ask you to come back when we get to the next teratoma. <laughs> that sounds great. I'll do my research before <laughs> next time. It'd be great if we, we could, might like, get credit you as Jacqueline teratoma expert. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you earned that title, but I'll take it anyway. <laughs> Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for um, donating your your time and experience to Code Grays. For sure. Thank you for having me. This was an honor. All right. Well, that is that's pretty much our show, I think. Yeah, that's what we have for the week. Uh, thanks so much for listening today, you guys. We had a we had a good time. I hope you enjoyed our guest guest speaker here. 
and that you'll come see us next week. Yeah, we're hoping to make that a more of a consistent thing. You know, maybe every couple of episodes having someone on the show, hopefully someone affiliated or involved in the medical profession somehow. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. And you know the drill. You can find us. Uh, at our site, code-grays.tumblr.com. You can find us on Twitter, um, at code underscore grays. You can also go ahead and send us an email with any questions, comments, concerns, uh, code, code grays at gmail.com. And then finally, you can listen to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean, which is our great host for the show. And if you are listening to us on iTunes, you know, just like drop us a few stars. Five, to be exact. And maybe leave <laughs> us a review. Well, that's uh, just an encouraging note. We will see you next week for episode eight. All right.